So it's Matthew 11, um, 1 to 15. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive the sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messengers before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence take it by force. For all the prophets and the Lord prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Great. Well, thank you for reading, and thank you for having me back. As Julio said, my name is Leo. I work for St. Helens. Uh, And I'm really sorry to inform you that today I am going to offend you. I don't particularly want to. Uh, It wasn't my intention. But I'm afraid to say I can't really get around it. It's not about your appearance. Uh, You all look lovely. Uh, It's not about your intelligence. I'm sure you excel at whatever it is you do. It's not about which rugby team you support. Although if it's Wales, Ireland or France, I might have some comments. Um, It's not actually about you at all. But I'm afraid I'm going to offend you today because I'm going to talk about Jesus. Well, Jesus, that doesn't sound very offensive. Sounds quite twee, actually, to spend our lunchtime listening to the talk about Jesus. What could be offensive about Jesus? We'll have a look at verse 6 of today's passage. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, Jesus, he recognises that there is something about what he is doing and saying that will be offensive. To offend is the cardinal sin of the age, isn't it? But I want to convince you this afternoon that despite the offence, Jesus is really worth giving your time to listen to. The sting of being offended by him is incomparable to the glory of the truth at the heart of this passage today. And so here's the first point for today. It's there on your sheets, I think. Here's our first point. Jesus is the promised coming of God. 
We all know the experience of waiting, don't we? Can you believe I had to wait four minutes for a Central Line train on the way here? Despicable. Perhaps it's a friend caught up on his way for lunch. Maybe a groom as he awaits a bride stuck in, stuck in traffic on his wedding day. Back in December, I don't know if you recall, in America, there were uh, tremendous snowstorms across the country and they uh, caused real havoc uh, across the airways. And I was in Boston airports on the 29th of December and I met someone who'd been waiting for a plane since Christmas Eve. She certainly knew the experience of waiting. And the experience of waiting, that was the present reality of the people of Israel, the people whom Jesus was teaching to. They were a people who had gone through serious turmoil for most of their existence. And they were waiting because they had been promised a deliverer. Theirs was a kingdom which for centuries had been battered and bruised by foreign empires. But they had been given a promise long ago that there would be one who would deliver them. There would be one who would come and restore the kingdom, uh, redeem them from the oppression and restore them to a majesty they knew under the kings of old. They were waiting, waiting for a deliverer. And 2,000 years ago, around 30 AD, well, things were looking really quite promising because there had never before been a candidate quite so likely as Jesus. He really looks like this promised deliverer. But there was something quite puzzling about Jesus. Uh, And John the Baptist, the guy at the start of today's passage, he knew it. He knew the puzzle. Because, well, John, well, you might remember him from the start of the gospel. Uh, John was the one who was paving a way for this deliverer. Uh, But right now, he was a little bit confused. And he was confused. Well, verse 1... Uh, Sorry, verse 2, because he was in prison. He's in prison and it didn't look like he was getting out anytime soon. And so he sent his disciples to Jesus, verse 3, and asked this question. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Are you this deliverer, Jesus? Uh, Because I don't want to be offensive, but not much delivering seems to have been going on. And we'll have a look at Jesus' answer, because it's not exactly a straight answer, is it, in verse 4? I suppose he could have just said, yes, yes, it's me. And yet, if it was merely a yes, well, it wouldn't be that remarkable, would it? The amount of people through history who have claims to be sent from God, claims to be a promised deliverer. Imagine if Jesus was just another candidate on that pile. But Jesus, he doesn't say yes. Have a look at what Jesus says instead, verse 4 to 6. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. What does Jesus do? Well, he shares his portfolio. I used to work in investment management, and I remember once going to an interview. My mentor said, Leo, don't even bother walking through the door if you don't have a portfolio to show them. All they want to see is your previous work. And well, Jesus, he has a portfolio. 
uh, not of stocks and shares, but a portfolio of miracles. And as we look through verse 4 to 6, well, these miracles alone, they are remarkable, aren't they? We could dwell on them, I suppose, for weeks, couldn't we? Just the wonder of them, uh, looking through the list. Well, all of us know people who suffer from those ailments, what we wouldn't do to cure them if we could. And yet, when Jesus was at work, the blind see, the paralysed walk, those with incurable diseases are healed, the deaf hear, and even the dead are raised. It's quite the portfolio. And, but here's the thing. The miracles, they are good, and, well, it raises Jesus up, I suppose, uh, raises him up to the level of many others who've claimed they could do miracles through history. But actually, Jesus is even better than them. The wonder of it is even greater than that. Uh, Because Jesus' miracles, they were actually particular miracles. And these miracles, they fulfilled a certain criteria. A criteria that God himself was coming to the world. You see, the miracles he lists here, they aren't random miracles. 700 years before Jesus, a prophet had foretold the day that God would come to the world. And on that day, the blind would see, the lame would walk, the unclean would be cleansed, the deaf would hear, the dead would be raised, and the poor would have good news preached to them. And Jesus is saying, well, look what I'm doing. That day has come. And so his point, yes, he is the one to come. And in fact, he proves that he is God coming to the world. God has come. Jesus is the one who is to come. You know, people say to me sometimes, oh yeah, I'm just searching for meaning. Uh, Or they say, yeah, I, I believe in something. Uh, Or, yeah, I'm a spiritual person. I think there's something out there. Um, But the truth is, well, if those people haven't found Jesus, uh, they haven't found anything. Because there is nothing else. And, you know, it is a tragedy when people become convinced that there is some sort of spiritual hope other than Jesus. It is a tragedy that people are being led to search for such things. It is one of the great tragedies of this age, I think, that people think we've moved on from Jesus, that he's not even worth looking into. Often as I cycle home, I see other religions trying to evangelise on the streets, uh, telling people about Allah or the ways of the Buddha. And you know, that is a tragedy. So many of my friends, they don't really know about Jesus or the Bible. All they know is that they don't want to be a Christian. Uh, They've been convinced that there is nothing in it for them. And the fact that the world pretends there are other, other options to Jesus, that is a tragedy. Because Jesus is the one to come. And if you miss him, there's nothing else coming. There's no other options. He is the one. 
But here's the thing, you look at Jesus, you look at this situation and well, it's easy to think this just doesn't quite make sense. Okay, you're saying God has come, but it it doesn't look like God has come. Uh, That is behind John's question, isn't it? Why am I still in prison? Uh, Well, the answer, I think, is our second point today. God's coming will be offensive. I wonder if you've ever been to the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, I went quite a few years ago now. My only real memory is being barraged by flyers and leaflets. Uh, But the discourse around the festival for the past few years has all been to do with who is getting cancelled. Comedians telling offensive jokes and being told they will no longer be allowed to perform. I wonder if you've ever considered that if Jesus were to go to the Edinburgh Festival, I think he would join that list of people he would probably be cancelled. God's coming in Jesus is offensive. Have a look at verse 6 again, and I wonder if it's worth getting a little bit clearer on that word for offended. Uh, In the original language, it's a slightly different word, but uh, we get another word from it. I wonder if you can tell what it is, because in the original language, it is scandalizo. That's the original word, from which, of course, we get the word scandalised. Blessed is he who is not scandalised by me, Jesus says. Here's the shock. When God comes to the world, it will scandalise people. You know, I know another guy in the city who a couple of years ago was coming to Christian things, hearing the gospel talk quite a lot. Um, And a friend uh, who worked with him said to me, I think that he suspects it's true but he just doesn't want to become a Christian. He doesn't want to be known as a Christian. He felt like it would be a scandal in his life, and he didn't want to be part of it. Now, I think that message that God's coming is offensive is actually the point of the rest of our verses today from uh, 7 to 15, Uh, but it's maybe a little bit tricky to see why. Who are these verses about? Well, in some ways, they seem to be about John, don't they? Verse 7, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Um, But what are they actually saying about John? Well, uh, follow along with me. These are quite tricky, so we might need to engage our brains for just five minutes. Apologies for that. Uh, But verse 7, Jesus says, you know what you came here to see. You know what kind of guy John is. Verse 7, you know that you didn't come to see a reed shaken by the wind. I think that's meant to be a metaphor of a speaker who just jumps on the latest bandwagon, uh, just says things in line with culture. Verse 8, you know you didn't come to see a man in soft clothing. Uh, You don't go out into the wilderness to see a luxurious person with a get-rich-quick scheme, do you? But Jesus says, you know what you came here for. You came here to see a prophet. Do you not know what that means? Well, verse 9, let me tell you, Jesus says. Let me tell you precisely what you need to know about John, Jesus says. Verse 10, he is the one of whom it was prophesied long ago, 400 years earlier. And what did that prophecy say? Well, verse 10, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. 
John the Baptist, he is the forerunner. That is what Jesus is saying. He is the support act to the headliner. He is the warm-up bout before the heavyweight title decider. And Jesus says, you knew you, were, you knew you were coming to see a support act. You knew you were coming to see a warm-up, warm-up bout. Surely you want to stick around for what comes next. And yet the point, of course, is that if you understand all of this, you realise that these verses aren't really about John at all. But they are about the one whom he is heralding in. Because once again, that quote in verse 10, that is about God's coming. This is very much the same message as the first few verses. Jesus is identifying himself as the coming of God. But here's the thing with these verses. Uh, You see, this is a quote from the book of Malachi, the final book of the Minor Prophets. And in that book, well, Malachi, he is saying God is going to come with an agenda. Because he is going to come as the refiner. Let me just read you a little from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. It says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. You know, refining is a rough process. Uh, As a little side hobby, I like to restore old guitars. And just this week, I I got one which is completely rusted over. Uh, And just last night, I took it all apart and put all of the metal um, in in a big jug of vinegar. Uh, It was looking good this morning. And when I get home tonight, I've got a file and I'm going to be filing it all down. Uh, It is not a comfortable process. And of course, gold, how do you refine gold? Well, you do all that, and famously, you put it in fire, don't you? You don't treat it nicely. And Jesus, he is coming to refine. That is the offensive thing. You see, Jesus has come to tell the truth about people. He has come to preach that we have all been led astray and wondered that things in this world have gone horribly wrong and there needs to be fundamental change. That is what Jesus has come to do. He has come to refine, to tell people to repent. And Malachi says, for those who will not repent, Jesus will judge. And verse 11 to 15, the the final verses, again, they're very tricky to understand. I've not fully grasped them, I'm afraid. Um, But I wonder if it's helpful for us to ask, what is the tone of these verses? Uh, Verse 11, it certainly has a sense of, of the grand, doesn't it? The greatest prophet has come. The greatness of the kingdom of heaven is here. But what has been the result? Well, verse 12, since it has come, it has been received with violence. John is in prison, uh, and we find out later that is because uh, uh, he has called for the royal family to repent, repent of their incestuous behaviour. And as, as a result, they throw him in jail, and he will soon be executed. Remember who John is. He is the one preparing the way for God. What kind of way is it he is preparing? It is a way of persecution and of violence. 
And so far in Matthew, well, Jesus, he has already had to flee away from crowds who would kill him. And, well, we know how Jesus' story ends. You see, God's coming is offensive. His coming will be received with violence. That is the way that has been set before him. But as we start to draw to a close, as we draw this all together, what does it all actually mean? Uh, Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Well, Jesus is clearly and indisputably the deliverer of the world. He is the one who is to come. Just note how remarkable it is that Jesus' coming was foretold. It was predicted. I've been running a Christianity Explored course on Wednesday lunchtimes over in the city, and one guy, he's been coming, he's not a believer, Uh, And one of the questions is, if Jesus is so important, why does he only come about 70% of the way through the Bible? Uh, It's a really good question. Uh, But I said to him, you've got to understand that, well, it's because the entire thing is about him. Everything that comes before his birth is looking to the day he comes. He is the one who is to come. But his coming will be offensive. Uh, How can it not be? He is the refiner. You know, I presume that all of us uh, who call ourselves Christians here today, we will have been offended by something in this book at some point, uh, or maybe in the Bible. And of course, by the Lord's mercy, he gives us humility, and uh, eventually we realise his ways are far better than ours. He is offensive, but not because there's something wrong with God, but because there's something wrong with us. But rather than recoiling from the offence, when it comes to Jesus, well, really, uh, he is the one. The only logical thing to do is not to run away, but to run to him. He is the one to come. He may offend you, but he also loves you, and he came to die for you. He is the one who is to come, and there is no one else coming. There is no other. You know, just as we finish, uh, quite a number of years ago now, I was travelling in East Asia with a friend, and we were in the middle of nowhere one night, and we needed to catch a train to a town we were going to stay in. Um, And uh, we were there, and there was a train coming, and my friend said, that's the train we need, and I said, no it isn't, we need to get the one afterwards. Um, And she said, that's the one, and I said, no it's not, and she said, well I'm going to go and ask an attendant. Uh, And I was horrified by it. I'm not so stupid that I don't know which train it is. Why do we need to ask an attendant? I'm pretty sure it's the train that's coming next. Um, And thankfully, being strong-willed, went and asked the attendants. Uh, And it turned out not only was that the train that we needed to get, uh, it was also the last train of the night. And if we didn't get it, we would have been waiting an awful long time. But, you know, as she came back and told me, I, I, I was almost tempted to not get on the train almost tempted to say, well, I'm going to stay here. I don't believe that attendance. I'm going to wait for the train to come. But there was no other. There was no other train coming. If you miss Jesus, you miss it all. There is no other. It might be hard. It might be offensive. But there is no other. But for those with ears to hear... Those who do receive, the kingdom of heaven is yours.
Well, why don't I close with a final prayer as we draw to a finish. Praise you, Lord, for this indisputable evidence that Jesus is the promised one. Father, may we have ears to hear what he is saying, even when it hurts, even when our hearts need refining. May we draw close and listen to the one who came to die for us. Father, may we be willing to hold out this offensive message knowing that there is hope in no other. There is no one else who can save. There is no one else coming. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. As we go out this afternoon, may we be strengthened by that, Lord. Please help us to know the wonder that Jesus is the one and his arms are open to anyone who would turn to him. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.